Well, the reading today, tonight, is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Now that's on page 1095, if you have a pew Bible. 1095. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Good evening, everybody. Uh, It's good to be here. I'm sorry I uh, wasn't at the picnic this afternoon, but I gather it was really, really fun. Um, So let me just pray. Father, um, 
Would you, would you speak to us this evening, please? Would you come by your Holy Spirit? Um, and would you speak to us? Uh, and Father, would you close our ears to anything unhelpful I may say? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, as we come together and think about how we might speak about Jesus. And the book of Acts, I think in many ways, is a bit like a modern TV drama. You've got kind of charismatic figures and crowd-pulling dramatic healing and powerful forces of authority trying to hide to uh, kind of take away the freedom of the little guy. And then a stunning courtroom scene where the accusers become the accused. And as we will hear in the next couple of weeks, we get uncontrollable fury and even murder. And of course, the narrative running through it all is the story of the creator of the whole world trying to save those he created from death. And our reading today takes us to that very first Pentecost, post-Pentecost, opposition to those who were in their thousands following Jesus. We're in the temple court, we're in the very epicenter of Jewish religious authority, a man who's been lame for 40 years, has been healed, a crowd has gathered to hear all about it, and as they listen, their hearts are softened. They hear Peter and John attributing this amazing act of healing to Jesus. Jesus, who had died, and the man himself praising God. So the temple guards move in, trying to break up the crowd. I mean, at one level, you can't blame them. This, 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 this was their authority. This was their patch. But the crowd have heard all that they need. And as we heard from our reading, um, thousands were added to the growing number of those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified and rose again. So... <clears throat> If you're in the business of marketing and marketing startup companies, look no further. Currently standing at approximately 2.3 billion people, with Jesus is still the head of all, Christians represent the largest, longest running global organization in the world. How did it grow? How did it start? And as I've been reading this passage over the last couple of weeks, the thing that's kind of hit me time and again, struck me afresh, is the sheer simplicity of the message of the early church. And I do wonder if sometimes we don't just get a bit complicated and sidetracked by issues that are not actually at the heart of the gospel. The messaging those first few years as the church was established, as opposition came, was all about Jesus. That's what it was about. 
And it was incredibly clear and it was incredibly consistent. And in that extraordinary courtroom scene that we have just read, Peter, anointed by the Holy Spirit, just keeps the message really simple. And so what I'd like to do is to just highlight three verses um, and then give a few concluding thoughts. So in verse 7 we read, By what power or what name did you do this? And the answer, which I think is going to come up on our screen, is this. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter, and just as we are, if we have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, we too are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, every word counted as he knew it would. So Jesus was a common enough name, and actually in Spain and many parts of South America, Jesus is a very common name. So let's be clear. Peter underlines the message. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. The one from that nondescript little village called Nazareth. Uh, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you remember one of the disciples, Gamaliel, was heard to say this? Oh yes, Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Yeah, the one that in this very court, for it was, you handed over to Roman officials and asked that he be put to death. The same Jesus whom God, Yahweh, raised from the dead. Every word counted. And it is in his name It is in the name that carries with it the power and authority of God to forgive sins that this man, who we all know has been in the temple courts for 40 years, unable to walk, it's in the name of this Jesus that this man is now walking, in fact dancing and praising God. So the Sadducees, who were the most wealthy and influential members of the Sanhedrin, were making up a good proportion of those who were present. And they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, they didn't believe in anything miraculous. And to be reminded again of Jesus, who they thought had just quietly disappeared... And then to be told that it is in his name, and not just in his name, but in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus, that the man was healed. That was quite a facer. But isn't it sad that you've got this whole group, there's about 70 of them, and Peter and John are standing in the midst, and so is the lame man, we read that. They couldn't even celebrate that the guy had been healed. And can you imagine if we had that? 
and somebody was healed. I mean, even if you didn't believe, you'd kind of go saying, wow, wow. I mean, that's, that's something, isn't it? They could not do it. But did you also notice they couldn't even call it a miracle? By what name, by what power did you do this? This, this. So, the first thing, the first message. When we speak, we speak in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. That's what we do. When we speak about Jesus, we speak in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. And let's be clear, you know, let's not get into some peculiar mumbo-jumbo, words are miraculous. It's not that the word itself has power. We We don't use the name of Jesus like some kind of magic wand. When we speak in the name of Jesus, we speak by faith in the one who is the Son of God, the one who came to earth with all the power and authority of heaven. And it is with confidence in God's mercy to us that we speak and we pray in the name of Jesus, that we find suddenly we've got the right words to say. And then... Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter makes another extraordinary but very simple statement. Let's have the next slide, please, Noah. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It is a straightforward statement, But even to this day, let's face it, evokes a lot of controversy, a lot of challenge. Perhaps perhaps some of you even sitting here going, whoops, I really, wow, that is quite a statement. But this was not Peter's invention. It wasn't his fantasy or even somehow created out of his desire. Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So salvation, the forgiveness of sins, was not in itself a new concept. Indeed, for the religious leaders, their whole lives depended on their role and their position, their authority as the ones who made daily sacrifices for the sins of all the people. This was their job. I mean, you can understand why they were a bit challenged. I mean, they were about to be made redundant. They were the ultimate religious authorities. And now Peter is saying to them, salvation uh, no longer comes as a result of your complex system of sacrifices but through the name of Jesus, the one you put to death. This is how Paul explains it in Hebrews 10. It's so clear this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs 
his religious duties. Again and again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Salvation, brothers and sisters, is found in no one else. So these were hard words for this courtroom to hear. And I would like to suggest they're not easy words for us to perhaps hear or speak. And I couldn't with any integrity stand up here and say them to you if I didn't personally believe it. And I do believe it. Um, but I also couldn't stand here without, with any integrity and say that it's always been easy to declare those words in every circumstance. And for many people, especially in our kind of experience-driven Western world where my truth is the only truth, they definitely create a reaction. Peter standing in that courtroom needed the power of the Holy Spirit to confront the unmatched authority of the religious leaders. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to face, I would suggest to us, a slightly different challenge. I would call it the challenge of spirituality. You ask around... And there's an awful lot of spiritual people around. Lots and lots of very spiritual people. People who feel spiritually connected to God. Believing in God who is out there and rather undefined. And that is so much more acceptable than placing your absolute trust in a person. A person, the Son of God, the one who is the invisible, the image of the invisible God. It's so much harder for people to do that. Um, you know, have you not come across people saying, oh, I'm, I'm actually quite a spiritual person? Where does that come from? Well, I, you know, I, that's who I am. And it is quite a challenge, and we need to do it with such gentleness and such, I believe, kindness we need to speak about Jesus. So Peter needed the power of the Spirit to speak about Jesus. And in a world where absolutes are increasingly unacceptable and spirituality is rampant, we do too. I've recently renewed a sort of a prayer of old. Lord Jesus, please fill me with your spirit so that I can speak with courage uh, and with conviction and with compassion. Um, but let's not forget how this whole episode with Peter and the Sanhedrin began. And Eddie alluded to it. What was there at the very beginning of all of this? There was an act of kindness 
there was an act of kindness. And I love the way Peter just stands up to his accusers and he says, well, hey guys, you're going to put me on trial for being kind, for an act of kindness to another person? Surely not. When we speak of Jesus, what do we speak about? We speak about God's grace. We speak about his mercy. We speak of the goodness and the kindness of God. That is what we speak about. And genuine kindness, the right thing at just the right time, is surely the way to build genuine relationships that lead to genuine opportunities to speak about Jesus. So, you know, the, the other simple message is Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only one who will forgive our sins. And thirdly, um, what gave Peter the courage to speak as he did? Honestly, he he literally was. I've looked this up. He would have walked into a courtroom. It made me think about those pictures we have of you know, of Westminster, when they're all kind of sitting around each side and then somebody comes and says something in the middle. I mean, Peter was in the middle of all these people. What gave him the courage to speak as he did? Let's have the final screen up. Is that there? When they saw. So when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men, Peter and John, hadn't been to rabbinical college. They hadn't got professional qualifications. They were just fishermen. Where did they get their courage, the ability to speak with such clarity? And with piercing simplicity. Well, the answer is is there. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And they were still with Jesus. Jesus who had promised them that he would never leave them or forsake them. This Jesus whose words of teaching and encouragement and discipline Peter and John had seen for themselves and that we now have recorded in Scripture. Their best education, their degree in how to speak about Jesus, how to be a disciple of Jesus, came from being with Jesus. So question, how can we be with Jesus when he's no longer alive? How can we be with Jesus when he's no longer alive? Well, you know, you know what I'm going to say, and that's, it is a simple truth, isn't it? So firstly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we all have, we are in Christ. We are with Jesus, and he is with us. We also need to do our bit. And I suppose it's obvious, but whenever we read the Bible, 
whenever we pray in the name of Jesus and ask that God, by his Spirit, will reveal to us more and more of his Son, we will be with Jesus. There's this, you know, everybody talks about me time. I'm just going to go and have some me time. We all do it, don't we? Well, how about I'm going to go and have Jesus time. I'm going to go and take time out. Whenever we take time together, whenever we speak together of what God's just saying to us, I love saying to people, what's God been saying to you recently? What, what, what's he been saying to you? And the reason I love it is that I'm longing to hear how God is speaking to my brothers and sisters. What can I learn from it? What can I, what can I be encouraged by? So, when we spend time with Jesus, he gives us all the insights we need and exactly when we need it. <clears throat> Let me quickly just go back to verse 11 for a moment with a, a really lovely example from Peter. So Peter says, Jesus is the stone which you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Now, these unschooled, ordinary men were quoting the scriptures to the most learned theologians of the time. Hey-ho. Why did Peter use this particular verse? So, I suspect that, first of all, he remembered that Jesus himself had used this verse. It comes from Psalm 118. Matthew 21, when Jesus was himself, when he came to Jerusalem before his death, was in the temple, and he spoke it to the religious authorities. <clears throat> but now Peter uses it with a particularly devastating challenge, which can only have come from the Holy Spirit. So the principle is clear with this verse. In any new building, be very careful. You don't throw away that one slightly odd shaped stone, the different one, you know, the one that's not kind of flat, that's going to make the walls. Um, because you need it as a cornerstone to hold the whole building together. And here is Peter, a nobody, accusing these top theologians throwing back at them their own verse and saying, you have thrown away the one stone that would keep your whole relationship with God intact. You've discarded him. You've nailed him to a cross. And then they personalize the verse. I only saw this for the first time ever last week. I suspect some of you have seen this before. The original verse, the original verse says, the stone which the builders rejected. And when Jesus uses it, he says the stone which the builders rejected. What does Peter do? Oh my goodness, the courage. He says, the stone which you builders rejected. You lot, you lot sitting around me, rejected, has become the cornerstone. 
you and I have had similar experiences where suddenly we're with someone and, and a Bible verse comes to mind, just the right one. That is the Holy Spirit at work, helping us to speak about Jesus because we've spent time with Jesus. So just to draw to an end, a little story. So the week before um, the whole Jubilee celebrations, there was a knock on our door at about eight o'clock at night <clears throat> And I went to open the door and I just saw the retreating figure of a guy with a great big bag. And he was just going to another neighbor who actually saw him and shut the door. And he, I was about to shut the door and he kind of turned around and waved at me. And I, I thought, oh, fine. And there he came, his name, let's call him Declan. Uh, he came with this big sack of stuff. And he said, hello, he said, how are you? Have you had a really good day today? And I said, yep, fine, how can I help you? And he just told me this whole story. He'd come out of prison recently, he'd been on drugs, he got caught with his friends, dealing, he became the fall guy for the group, he was absolutely determined to make a new start in the army and he needed to raise some money. Why am I telling you this? Because what this young man had with all his tattoos and his toothy grin was credibility. He was, I actually believed him and I hope I'm a reasonably good judge of people but there was a sincerity. He was telling the truth. His story rang true. It had the simplicity of honesty. So, of course, I bought some cleaning materials, um, which we haven't yet used, something to do with cleaning the microwave. And no, I didn't ask for his ID. And whether he was an official trader or not, I don't know. And actually, in that moment, it didn't matter. He knew darkness and he didn't want to go back there and I believed him. So then when I asked if I could pray for him, he was surprised, but he actually looked pleased. So of course I prayed that he would find Jesus as the way to a new life. And then he surprised me and he said, have you got a cross well, it so happens, because of Louis' chaplaincy work, we have a little stash of wooden crosses, you know, that you put around you. So I quickly went and got a cross. And I gave him one, and I prayed a prayer of blessing and encouraged him, if he ever did get to the army, that he makes sure he links up with the army chaplain. The sincerity of Declan's story captured me. We each have a story to tell, a story of how we came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and how Jesus is with us in the ups and downs of life. And those stories will carry far more weight than fancy words and arguments. Let's also be clear, in our narrative, Peter and John actually did not 
convince the religious leaders. All 70 of them didn't all suddenly believe in Jesus. But this didn't deter Peter from trying. And do you remember Peter's parting shot in court? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We, brothers and sisters, are called to proclaim a simple message. It is God and God alone who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will open people's hearts to that message. Sometimes that means a conversation, and sometimes it may just be a prayer of faith in the name of Jesus. I have no idea what's going to happen to Declan. All I know is that I was part of one small section of his road to faith. And it's really important for us not to get caught up in notching up converts. I don't think that gives glory to God. It's such a joy when we're with somebody who suddenly comes to faith But most of the time, we are just one small part of a much longer journey. Let's do it faithfully. Let's do it with joy. And let's do it with simplicity. The message of salvation is simple. There is no one else who can forgive our sins and bring us to eternal life except for Jesus Our part is equally straightforward. We need to spend time with Jesus so that we can speak about Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus so that we can speak about Jesus. That's our part. Let me pray. Father, forgive us for when we get all complicated and get anxious that we don't have the right words and arguments and we're not theologically this, that, and t'other. Father, you sent your son Jesus as a baby. Of all the examples of newness and simplicity, Father, your message is one of simplicity. When we come to your son Jesus in repentance, he will forgive us and we will be in relationship with you. So Father, I pray now that you would give us that hunger to spend time with your son Jesus. And as we spend time with him, you would give us the courage to speak of him. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.